Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Just like that, the second hour is here. Hot Mike with Honey Withrow, Thursday edition. Our thanks to Steve Tasker and Armando Salguero. What a week, everybody. Flying by. Fun week. Flying by. Chad, uh, he's in the chat. How's it going on YouTube? It's good. Chat's solid today. I'm trying to think of what the, uh, if there's been any controversy in the chat so far. Not really. It's been, uh, you know, nice. I'd say the room's been nice to each other today. Very kind. Very Not kind. Bad. Very kind. Cordial. Cordial, yeah. If there was like a most uh, in sixth grade when I finished up my elementary school, uh, yeah. I, I won most courteous of my sixth grade class. Balanced man. Is that really? What, I, really, this this is more evidence of just my total balance as a man that I eventually it paid off with my balanced man scholarship. Thousand dollar scholarship that uh, he received from a fraternity during rush that he did not ultimately rush. He. Pledged to another fraternity. I'm basically which was unbelievable. I, I was Jordan Seaton before Jordan Seaton going to Colorado. Shocked everyone when I didn't go to the fraternity that gave me the so, bag, that gave me the Balance Man Award, and instead went somewhere else. A, a rival of theirs. So mind. later in the show, Chad will will uh, hand out the most courteous award in the chat. Yeah, I didn't know. Like in sixth grade, you know, my mom and everybody, man, this is just so, just what a testament to your character and how we raised you. And I'm thinking, it's kind of an insult. I, like I'm a pushover. What does most courteous mean? You know, when you're a sixth grader, you're on the verge of middle school for me. A lot of kids now, six, seven, eight. Mine was junior high. So I had elementary yeah. K through six. And then I public school junior high was seven, eight, nine at the time. And then eventually I went to a school that had a ninth grade annex. So I went seventh and eighth grade was middle school for me. And then I went to another building that was on the high school campus behind it, separate of it. That was the annex. And that was just for ninth graders. I had a huge school. And then they eventually split into another school were, when yeah, I was going you were, there. You were sent away from the Sent away from the actual the high schoolers. I remember I had one class in the actual high school. And, I mean, it was like I was going to San Quentin. I was going from, you know, the county pen to a federal prison somewhere when I went to the actual yeah, the high school. Had, had and I'm a freshman announced. around seniors. You know, I'm just, like, trying to dodge people in the hall, not get my ass kicked every day. And I'm, I'm taking intro to physical therapy. So uh, that was my experience there. But I didn't win most courteous uh, in high school. I won most eligible bachelor. Wow. Which, again, Will you accept this kind rose? of a diss, right? I feel like most courteous pushover. How is that a, is Most that a eligible diss? bachelor can't get a girlfriend. I, I don't know if that was what they were going for. Uh, what was the, what was the uh, accolade that everyone was, was trying to receive? Just uh, uh, like king oh, and queen man. of the school? Or like Mr. and Mrs. Mount Juliet. Most likely to be successful? Yeah, there was a Mr. and Mrs. Mount Juliet. That was a big one. There was um, best looking. That was a great one See, to I, get, if you could get it. What about like... Most was, athletic? Yeah, that's the one you wanted. Yeah, I don't know that I was in the... I, I didn't go into it thinking, I'm going to be most eligible bachelor. Because they have like the fun ones. I There were about Funniest. 10. I feel like fun, uh, five were like the fun categories. Kind of like that one. Most likely to be a movie star type stuff. I was most eligible bachelor. Then they got to the serious stuff, which was Mr. and Mrs. Mount Juliet, 
which so, was best looking, most athletic, most studious. There's another there one. There it is, yeah. They had no most courteous. That was just an elementary do, award. So I, I don't know this. Do they still have the yearbook slash annuals that they that do? You, do kids now do high schoolers still sign those yearbooks like we did? Oh, I hope so. Someone in the chat let uh let us know. Davey's saying yes, but I mean, if you I, have kids in high school. Well, Davey, you it's not like you're 19. No, but my cousin graduated a couple of years okay. ago, and That's they fair. were still doing it up until COVID. But I was told at least the high school I went to, they continued the yearbook tradition okay. moving forward. We we should bring if in. If COVID knocked out the annual ritual of signing high school yearbooks, too, that's another thing that it took from yeah. us. I don't know if they have any cool slogans they'll put in them like they used to, but. I remember like that was the time to bear all. Like I could go back now into my yearbook. And it's uh, like girls. Oh, we should who bring are, them in and read them. Oh my goodness! I won't. I won't say the names, but I'll be happy to read them. But some of them are like, you know, I've been wanting to tell you this for three Dorothy. years, and what you said to me at that party was <laughs> not that. But it's always like I've always had the biggest crush on you, and I never could bring myself to say it. And then the next one's like, you and I are just such kindred spirits. Yeah. I mean, you're so courteous. The writing in this thing is <laughs> incredible. I think could have written a screenplay, Poets. with some of the stuff that was written to me in the, the yearbook. Yeah, but we should we should do a recital. Once football season is over, yes, let's all we have da- to. Davey too. I, I was laughing out. Davey quickly raised his hand, like, "Oh, they're still doing that. Like he's like a high school yeah. kid. Like he's one of the young ones now. Can't even know the hey, different slang I'm, terms we throw I'm out." I'm glad he told us. I, I haven't heard about that in a long time. But I didn't know if it was just a text deal or what. You know, you just sign up. You sign a wall online now. I think you just put it in their Instagram comments. Yeah. That's how, how you sign a yearbook now. Yeah, stay in you touch. You post the senior photo, and then everyone tells you how great you look underneath. That that is the that is the modern equivalent of what we did with signing the yearbook and going to the day. Remember we had like an actual day and time. I feel like it was like one of the last days. Well, no, it was like, uh, we would go into the cafeteria and swap yearbooks for two hours. We didn't do that. I was just like, and you're just one after the other trying to sign. And like some people you knew was going to be serious. They like take it over to the side and sit down and write something in there. It was incredible. We would do it right before during in between classes. Yeah. Or, or as class was starting. I remember having to pose. My school had this stupid dress code. Where you could only, they did it our senior year. I think it was junior or senior year, but no, pretty sure it was just senior year. You had to wear, get this, Hutton. And it's not like I, you know, I, I went to school in Beirut. Okay. Yeah. This was not an area that you know, there was a lot of crime or anything, but they made every kid wear khakis. Well, g- girls hearing this, women hearing this, you're just going to love this, this, these outfits. Khakis with either solid navy, solid hunter green, other forms of green. You couldn't have not emerald green, not Kelly green, hunter green, wow, or maroon, not red, maroon, navy, uh, green, hunter green, maroon, no stripes, no designs, no. If you had a logo, you had to put a piece of tape over it when you went to school. That's all you could wear year round. Was this, uh, no, I mean, so we had a we did away with certain things you could not wear because of Columbine. But that's yeah. the only thing. Well, that, that's, that's that's what happened. That's it. The year before, that's what happened yeah. at our school. I, I was riding that same time. So they just made you wear the same thing. Yeah. I mean, you just said, but you had to wear that. But I remember just every day, kids either getting written up or sent home for dress code violations. And I remember even as a, a youngster thinking, is this really what's good for the education system? What we need to do now is make it so difficult for kids to find clothes yeah. that are acceptable that we just don't deal with them and we turn them into truants because we're going to send them home. Her outfit's so distracting, the other boys can't concentrate on the classwork. Well, that was the, the, the big one. The big violators were the girls. 
because it was like their khaki skirt was uh, not it was above two and a half inches above their knee. You know, they'd have to take the ruler out and measure above the knee of the skirt, and if it was too high, they Chad got sent home. most courteous. Yeah. I was the <laughs> one. I'll gladly measure for you. Excuse me. Excuse me. I'd like to volunteer. <laughs> I, I, I brought a ruler. Yeah. Ma'am, I'm going to need you to sit up on this, this desk right now, and I'm going to have to measure that. that. I don't think this is protocol. Yeah. I think that this is way higher than two and a half inches. And will you sign my yearbook? Chad's so nice. He's always so nice. He was right there with a the ruler every day to measure my skirt. So I call it a yearbook, but a lot of people call it an annual. Annual or yearbook. I've heard both. Both, both are, are acceptable. Correct. Yeah. Both are correct. I feel like one should not be acceptable. A yearbook and an annual. An annual could be used to describe anything that's annual. Like flowers that, that bloom right. annually. Yeah. That's an annual, right? That, that's just another way to describe it. Yearbook is just more specific. Do girls have a specific name for it? Uh, yes. Oh, like a slogan? Well, ours was like, I went to a school, Lenore City, and they just called it the LC. And... Oh, you had like a common name. See, ours yeah. had like a theme. Every yeah, year was yeah. a different title, like a novel. No, like it, a book. ours was the same year, and then on the uh, millennial something or whatever. Oh, it's like oh, the, the side, things you that like, you will which accomplish. Which volume it was? Nineteen ninety-eight yeah. would be one. You know, uh, a, a vast horizon. Ninety-nine Mount Juliet High School yeah. yearbook. It was stupid stuff like that, but they had a different theme for it every year. And yours was what, Davy? The L C N. So like L C and then like a dash E A N. Do you call someone from Lenore City an L C N? I. They might. I mean, we don't use that term, but it's kind of like the uh, San Diegan, San Diegites. Yeah. The girls I went to college with that were from Lenore City were very, uh, very proper. Michael, they were very. I have no Michael idea what McHenry's you call someone from my town. Went to Lenore yes. City, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I have no idea what to call someone from Mount Juliet. It's not Mount Julietans, I don't think. Maybe it is. Uh, she's from Mount Juliet. We always joke. There's a town close by called Gallatin, and buddies we had from there, we'd call them Galatians. Galatians. <laughs> Oh, that's another Galatian. Good to see you brought this Galatian to the, this party. Top headlines today. Uh, we head to Jacksonville for Scorched Earth. And uh, I don't know how you pull this off. A former Jags employee accused of stealing more than $22 million uh, from, from the organization. Amit Patel is the employee's uh, name. Um, and he had access to the money through a virtual uh, money account. Uh, the, the virtual credit card program. And he had access to the ownership money, to the bank. Uh, worked for nearly five years. Uh, started working for the team in 2018. And during that time, he had several titles. Uh, he was manager of financial planning and analysis. And he, uh, over $22 million. And Patel went on a spending spree that included purchases of two vehicles, including a Tesla Model 3. Uh, beachside condo, and a $95,000 designer watch. Also booked charter jets and luxury hotels for himself and friends, not to mention also spent some money on the gambling sites while investing in crypto. I don't know how you hide this over, your, over a five-year span with the organization. Someone's really asleep at the wheel. Or you're just, there's so much money at play and you're making so much that like if if you're telling me this amount of money is a rounding error for someone like the Jacksonville Jags organization, that's insane to me. That this this is even and too this much is, for that. You know, an FBI type uh, investigation, a U.S. Attorney's Office, uh, and the Middle District of Florida. But Jacksonville's not specifically named in the court filing, but they acknowledge, like, yes, who is named as a former employee of ours? Uh, Twenty-two million and chartering jets, Chad. Buying uh, beachside condos. It it's sounds like, like a future movie. 
Yeah. And we've seen movies where people scam someone out of a ton of money and then live the, the high life and are just jet-setting and staying maybe in the it's best suites all over the world. And then I'm thinking, but I, I don't know how you pull off the, the lifestyle of that. It seems to me like it's like if you can work that hard to come up with that scheme and then implement it, and then the amount of headspace it takes to worry about getting caught and yeah. going to prison about it, in that amount of time, you should just be an entrepreneur and make an actual, you know, multi-million dollar business. And he clearly had a good gig. Well, if you're, I'm saying if you're that talented at doing yeah. something like that, I'm thinking it sounds like the easy road, but is it really the easy road? Because the amount of time and worry you put into it, why not just go ahead and come up with another company idea and do it legitimately? Well, because you, I think you are too smart for your own good. And in this case, you get away with it for as long as he did. And you're thinking, I've come up with a plan that's foolproof. Yeah. And to me, it's just the extravagant lifestyle. Uh, you, you can't do that and pull it off. Well, I'm, again, I'm glad they're, it, they're they after it. pulled it off for a while. 22 but million. Eventually, didn't pull it off. Right. And it's going to end up in I mean, quite a bit of trouble. What would you think if I just rolled up in a Tesla, Chad? I would think, you know, Hutton's made some sound investments. I wouldn't think anything of it. Really? I wouldn't even second guess it. That's how he got away with it. Then. Much like I won most courteous, Hutton uh, won most likely to succeed at Warren County <laughs> High didn't. School. So we all no. just would, you know, wouldn't even bat an eye. Would most say. likely to eventually determine what he wants to do. That oh, Hutton finally award. achieved that lifelong goal of being a real estate developer. That's why he's got this <laughs> Tesla now. That's what yeah. I would say. Uh, Trevor Lawrence opted not to take the cart uh, in Jacksonville whenever he sprained his ankle. It looked more serious than that on Sunday. And he made the walk to the locker room. He passed Scott Van Pelt and others uh, while the game was late in the fourth quarter, tied at 28. Um, and he addressed that by saying, yeah, we have an amazing medical staff that takes care of us. You can imagine that anything we need, they're going to get it to us. But then he said, we talked about getting a cart, and I was going to get a cart, and then I'm standing there, and you know, I'm already on the sideline at that point. The tunnel is right there. I just wanted to get off the field and get out of there. I didn't know what was going on with my ankle. I felt like I could get off the field. Um, it's a long walk, having been there on the sidelines in Jacksonville. It's, it's longer than the normal walk to the locker room or to get the, the x-ray to the, determine the significance of said injury. I don't know why there's a, the perception from players that you don't want to take the cart ride. But the perception was already that he had broken his ankle. That's what people thought happened anyway. Um, the visual aspect of it, Chad, I don't understand why players hate that. And we've seen that before um, and, and throughout every level of football. You don't want to take the cart ride for fear of looking, I guess, weak. But in this case, he wasn't even able to put any weight on his foot and he's being carried off. The visual's the same to me. Yeah, I, it's kind of a tough guy thing to say, look, I got up, and even if I'm hobbling off the field or barely able to walk, I'm standing up trying to get off the field. I, I don't get it. Uh, I think this looks worse than being on a cart. I also think back to, you know, one of the biggest moments in Trevor Lawrence's career came last year during the playoffs in a game where the opposing quarterback that I'm sure he idolizes and aspires to be, as in winning multiple Super Bowls, mm -hmm. had a pretty significant ankle injury. And I think he went to the locker room maybe or into the injury tent for a brief time and then hobbled his way back out and finished the game. And I'm talking about Patrick Mahomes playing through that injury. I, I just wonder if that sticks in the back of your mind a little bit, if you're Trevor Lawrence, because ultimately that's who he wants to be. 
So maybe even though he physically couldn't do it and should have gotten on the cart, yeah, he's thinking, I'm not going to let them see me on the cart. I'm going to do what I saw Patrick Mahomes do a year ago on the opposite sideline in a game against me and my team. Maybe that's part of it. And I've seen the cart. I know they have one at that stadium. Yeah. You know, and he had confirmed. Mariota, that's where he broke his ankle in week 16. Well, he almost had to come to defense of the organization because people well, are making yeah. fun of them. Oh, they don't even have a car that wasn't el- available. And I've, I've long said... And then he said, no, I opted to not get it. If you're going to have a medical emergency or you are you have an issue, a health issue, you want to be in an NFL stadium. That's where the best staff in that said city will be based on NFL yeah. rules and regulations for what the team must provide. We saw that with DeMar Hamlin. Yes. Up close and personal. That was a lot of the conversation hey. continues to be. Uh, after the fact that he was in the right spot for something, if something tragic is going to happen like that, you're in the right spot for it Best with all the personnel, medical personnel there. Period. Hey, uh, by the way, Trevor Lawrence did practice today in some capacity. He was limited, but he's on track to give it a go, and he's already tried to do that and did that with a knee issue earlier this season. Chad, coming up, Bronson Arroyo Can't is wait. in the studio with us. 2004 World Series champion. And World now, champions. Now he plays Pearl Jam covers. We'll talk to him about both when we come in, back. In studio with us next on the Hot Mike with Hunter Withrow across the Outkick Network. What's up, everyone? It's Nick Wright, and I got something exciting to talk to you about today. Angie your ultimate destination for getting all your jobs done well. Now, Angie isn't just your average home services marketplace. It's a game changer with over 150 million homeowners served and a network of over 200,000 skilled pros. Angie has experience and expertise to tackle any project with ease. Whether you're looking to spruce up your backyard or undergo a major home renovation, Angie's got your back. And their pros are locally based, often running small businesses right in your community. And here's the best part. Angie makes the process seamless. From researching and comparing pros to scheduling services at your convenience, Angie's user-friendly platform puts you in control. So why settle for anything less than perfection when it comes to your home? With Angie, you can trust every project will be completed with the utmost care and professionalism. So get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today to discover why homeowners across the nation are turning to Angie to get all their jobs done well. Some might say to me, go around the world trying to be set free, but I... Hot Mike with Hennett with rolls on across the Outkick Network. Sixth and Peabody, our location with Yeehaw Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine. We're hearing Bronson Arroyo right now, some might say, off the same album, some might say. He joins us in studio, the former Major League Baseball pitcher and World Series champion and now the Bronson Arroyo Band is uh, in town in Nashville tonight, and so are the winter meetings. Bronson, great to see you in studio, man. Hope things are well. Yeah, things are great. Thanks for having me. Uh, Chad, he's, he's telling us during the break he's fasting currently. Yeah, uh, I, I'm, I'm fascinated by this. So three days you can go without eating anything? Is it just water? Yeah, is just water. I did it in Costa Rica probably about eight months ago, and, uh, you know, it wasn't as bad as I thought. I only lost two pounds. But honestly, all your little kind of like – areas that my knees or, or your wrist or your elbow or something that has a little like arthritis in it or you got a little tendonitis 
it went away, at least for a while. And, and they just say it's so good for you. So it's kind of a mental challenge to see if you can go somewhere and, and not have any food around. Because I'm constantly, you know, you're always thinking, where are we going to eat next? Like, you go on vacation, it's like, where are we going to eat? Oh, you're, you're speaking Chad's language, right? Yeah, yeah that's my love language. Constantly <laughs> talking about food. So it's just like, let me just see if I could do it. This is making me think about my next meal even more <laughs> as, as I hear that you're going through this. So you played at, at 190, uh, currently 175. You were never a guy as a pitcher that got big over the course of your career. And you pitched for a long time. Speaking of a long time, how far back does your love of music go? Is this something that is simultaneous with your love of sport, or is it something you picked up along the way? Yeah, I picked it up along the way. It was, you know, I was a kid in the weight room. I had this very strange childhood, right? So I have, like, videos of me as an 8-year-old kid weighing 60 pounds, squatting 255, deadlifting 235, and benching 130. I was in the weight room with my father, who was lifting really heavy, and he saw a kid who was athletic, and there was always music around my house, but you were thinking about the sport at, at those early ages. It wasn't until I was in double A with the Pirates when I got an acoustic guitar um, that I thought, oh, I, I really want to do this. But I had had that music in the weight room as a kid, and my father was always singing, and he was in bands, and everybody in my house was was playing an instrument. But it just didn't really strike me until I heard Stone Temple Pilots, Nirvana, Pearl Jam. There was something different about the darkness in those songs that that made me want to perform music. What is the anticipation or uh, the, the the feeling like on your day to take the mound versus you know you've got a show coming up tonight? You know, it used to be very similar in a lot of ways. And, and just before you go on, on the stage, regardless of what, you're always a little nervous. You have those kind of butterflies like when you're listening to the, the national anthem. But I would say uh, they're, they're very, very similar. It's just that I think musically I've gotten to a point where I've, I'm realizing that there's not a a really a way you can mess it up unless you know unless you have a really really bad night right there's nobody combating you right you're not being challenged by anybody so as long as you feel good about the sets you've been playing leading up I'm getting more and more comfortable where sometimes you want to put yourself in an uncomfortable position it's like can you go up on the stage and feel like you're unprepared I'll write the set list up just before we go out and make the guys not know what songs are there right just to kind of like walk the high wire a little bit and there's a little bit of that kind of adrenaline slash nerves that you, you almost feel like you can't live without because you had done it for so long which one, and maybe the answer is kind of neither in terms of it, but which one gets easier as you go along the quickest in terms of being a starting pitcher in Major League Baseball or performing as a musician on stage? I think the music probably a little bit. Like I said, you know, you're, you're going against the best hitters in the world as a baseball player. You never really feel like you've got a grasp on it because day to day you're pitching every fifth day and you can have two or three bad ones in a row and you feel like, man, I'm never going to come out of this. Where musically, you could have a bad night if your voice is beat up or maybe you forget a couple of lyrics, but most of the time people don't really notice. It's not like a three-run homer in the second. You know, it's, it's hard to hide that. So I think musically it's gotten a little bit easier, but if, if, you, if you strip away the band and have me just play with an acoustic guitar, then it's a whole different ballgame, and then you feel much more vulnerable and you feel like you're under the microscope much more. So, you know, as a guy who, meaning you here for the first time, seemed like a pretty laid-back dude, like a pretty nice, you know, friendly guy. I would not think that having sitting here and talking to you right now that you'd be the guy involved uh, with multiple incidents with Alex Rodriguez over the course <laughs> of, of a game, right? Yeah, uh, I'm we respect sure, it, though. I'm sure there's a different edge, and we saw that at times <laughs> with you as a competitor and a professional baseball player. But um, how often do you hear about that? E either and, and You can say which one is, is you hear about the most, either hitting him and starting the brawl, or then when he starts to come after you, starting the brawl, or the incident in the ALCS where he knocks the ball out of your glove going to first. Which one is the most memorable to you? Which one is the most memorable to your fans? 
Well, to, to, to me, the, the, the playoff, him slapping the ball out of my hand was, was more memorable, you know, than, than just a, a big fight in, in the middle of the regular season. But, the, you know, the July 24th fight with, with the Yankees there in Fenway Park has, has almost become like Bobby Bonilla Day, you know, whenever Bobby gets that check from the Mets. Yep. Well, I, every time it's July 24th, I'm getting text messages from all over <laughs> the country saying, look what just popped up on my feed. So it's like, and the funny thing is I've never had a conversation with Alex, right? I, I've, I was in Boston playing a set. Um, about a year ago, and Julian Tavares ran up on me, and he was—he said he hangs with Alex all the time, and he's like, "Alex would love to hang out with you, man." But I, you know, we've just never made it happen. I've never crossed paths with him, and uh, in years past, I heard that he didn't really want to talk about me or mention me, you know. So it, was, it felt like that he still had beef with it. You're getting mixed messages. His buddy's saying, "Hang out anytime," and then other people are saying that he didn't want to talk about it. Yeah. How quickly do you know that it's about to go down when that when that happens? Because. I went back and watched it on YouTube probably 20 times today before this interview, <laughs> and it's pretty quick that he is staring you down, saying things that you can pick up on camera that aren't, aren't very flattering to you. How quickly did you know, okay, here we go? You know, I actually didn't think the brawl was going to start there, only because, for one, I, you know, it was 87-mile-an-hour sinker. They hit him in the elbow pad, so it wasn't like I stuck him with 99 in the ribs, right? And then... And then in, in my past history, I had hit some guys not on purpose, and that one wasn't on purpose either, but I hit guys like closer to their face. Like I hit Eric Young twice in the same game in Texas, and I thought for sure the second time he was coming out to get me, and nobody had ever charged them out on me. So I, I, I wasn't really thinking along those lines, but him and Veritek got into it really, really quickly, and it just escalated fast. There's, there's got to be guys uh, in, uh, in the clubhouse or on the field that are hoping something pops off, though. You've got those teammates that are wanting – the, uh, the brawl to start, right? Yeah, absolutely. And, and back then, I mean, you're talking about 2004. It's right on the cusp of Major League Baseball really kind of getting away from steroids. Yeah. And a lot of these guys were already huge by nature, and then you pump in a bunch of testosterone. I mean, there was guys in locker rooms that absolutely loved to fight. I mean, even back in the minor leagues, you know, guys, guys like Carl, Kyle Farnsworth, you know, you've seen him with the Cubs, just an absolute monster. And A-Rod was the one, I mean, he's, self, he's admitted that he was giving information out. So guys had to be hoping that something would happen with him. Yeah, and I think, you know, that, that rivalry, too, there's something about the whole the whole atmosphere yeah. that gets ramped up that's not necessarily personal to the players. Like, you play in Yankee Stadium, you know, I mean, you're warming up in the bullpen, and they're cussing your mother out by, by her middle name, and and the cops are laughing about it, you know? And so there's this whole idea that even up in the crowd, there's fights going on, there's a lot of chaos going on. And, and if you rewind from 2003 in the playoffs, we also had a big thing go down with those guys that year where Kareem Garcia jumped over the wall and they beat up a guy who worked for the Red Sox. And we also had the brawl at, at home plate when Pedro Martinez threw um, Don Zimmer down to the ground. So, you know, there, this was that, that fire was already brewing before Alex got there and his kind of demeanor and what people perceived as a cocky player really didn't help help the situation why don't things pop off more behind the scenes we see fights that break out uh between nfl players in the tunnel for instance right do things happen behind the scenes that are kept closed off or does it really just not go beyond the diamond not that much it's weird in baseball guys kind of respect the fact that a brawl might break out but afterwards i have not you wait for the fastball the next day I, yeah, I've, I've heard of guys in the minor leagues like doing, you know, coming the, the next day and like drilling somebody with a baseball in the outfield or something. And yeah. some of those guys have been kicked out of baseball for a long time. So it feels like if it's happening between the white lines, kind of it's cool to do whatever. And then other, otherwise, it feels like you might get you might get booted out of the game if, if something gets too gnarly. So I, I personally have not seen that many times in the game. What's your advice to anyone? I know it happened later in your career, but to anyone going through Tommy John surgery, uh, in that injury. Shohei Otani, I know it wasn't technically Tommy John, but he's gone through that before. To him or anyone else going through that process, what's your advice to them? 
I think just be patient because everybody's body is so different. I know guys have come back in 10 months and felt really good, and I know guys have been grinding for over two years to try to get the pain out. And so, you know, depending on the type of surgery you have, there's multiple ways you can have a Tommy John uh, surgery depending on who's doing the work. And also everybody's body just responds totally different to, to the, their mechanics and everything about it. When I, when I had it done, I was already 37 years old, and my shoulder was tore at the same time, so I had both surgeries. And it took me parts of two years to try to get back. Only pitched 14 times for the Reds after that and still never really got pain-free. Which organization do you wish uh, you would have stuck with longer? You know, I would have loved to play in Fenway longer. When I was traded there, I, I had signed this undervalued deal, and they had promised me they weren't going to trade me, and they traded me before the season started in the middle of spring training. And, um, you know, playing in Fenway Park was like being at a rock show. It really was like being at a Pearl Jam set and – you know, every night people were walking into the stadium and you could see the look on their face like we might not ever come to a place like this again. It's expensive. You bring in your family. It, it almost felt like the Beatles were reuniting every night, even if you played the worst team in the league on a Tuesday afternoon. And, you know, I really enjoyed that. I heard plenty of other guys like David Wells talk about, you know, people don't leave you alone here in New England. But I loved walking down the street and people knowing who I was and going to the ballpark and feeling like you were playing under the scrutiny of kind of a playoff vibe every night. Eddie Vedder's a huge baseball fan, right? Absolutely, yeah. He's a part of your retirement with the Reds. How did that come about, and, and what can you tell us? about? Obviously, you love his music, and you're, you're going to play it tonight at this, this concert we're going to be talking about, but how did that relationship come about? You know, I just went to a show. It was an off day. I've finally seen those guys. They've been, they've been touring in the summer, and, and they never toured in the winter back in the day, and it was, you know, we play every single night, so we never get a chance. And this one off day, they were playing in Columbus. I drove up. Nobody else wanted to go. I asked a bunch of dudes on the Reds, you guys want tickets to the show? They said, no, we got laundry to do. <laughs> so <laughs> it wind up being me and a, and a clubhouse kid named Brian Harris. And we just hung out with Eddie in his green room as he's writing up the set list. And we had a nice chat for two, three hours that night. And, you know, in, in the ensuing years, I got to be friends with him and, and play music with him. And me and Sean Casey have sat with him sometimes for hours and had conversations and played, you know, 25 Pearl Jam songs, kind of passing the guitar back and forth. And, you know, what I found is that he's such an authentic guy and, you know, being in his presence just for mere moments, he makes you feel like it matters. And he listens to the to every conversation in present tense and remembers people's names. And, you know, everything that I thought he could be, he was that much and more. So, I mean, for me, he's been a hero. Speaking of present tense, great uh, Pearl Jam song you just referenced with that. Absolutely. I saw him in concert for the first time recently, blown away uh, by his performance with Pearl Jam. And there's something about that voice with him. Yeah. That just really grabs you the moment it happens. And I'm watching the show, and I'm thinking, this set list is so perfect. The way it flowed through, the way he started, the way it kind of built throughout. When you're sitting there and he's going through his set list, is he asking for, uh, not advice, but, hey, what would you guys like to see? What do you think about this? Or does he have it all in his head right there and he's just jotting it down? No, he's writing it down, and he normally is kind of like taking in the history of playing in that same city or that same venue, right? And he'll look back at the old set list and say, well, we didn't play that then, or we, we only played these 12 songs because it was 92, and it was, that's all the songs we had. You know, so he tells those stories on stage, and he's taken all that into account. He's also taken in what's going on in the world. There could be, you know, it could be National Religion Day, and he, maybe he's going to throw in something specifically to spite that, you know, and, and, and just um, every night for him, it started early on where it looked like he wanted to write up a different set list, which in the early days seemed like, man, we need to get to a hit. We're playing all these songs that people don't quite know. But it's that is the magic of a Pearl Jam show now is going and not knowing what you're going to get. What will you open with tonight? Um, I did. I don't remember what's on a set list, but it's either I think it's um, one I love by 
REM or Once by Pearl Jam. One, one or the other. You know, we play we play two sets with this band. We we play a, a set that goes from Beatles all the way through the Foo Fighters, and that's what we're doing tonight. But there's a lot of times we've been playing with a Chili Pepper cover band in Cincinnati, and we just do an hour and fifteen minutes of Pearl Jam. So those nights are a little different. But today is kind of a mixed blend of a bunch of stuff. What's the best show you've attended? It doesn't have to be the best artist or band, but the best moment for you when you look yeah, back. Yeah, feeling. I, I you know I think uh, one one day I was I was in L.A. writing this record. My buddy Jamie Aronson plays guitar for uh, Miley Cyrus, and he's in my band that's on that album. And uh, he had tickets to this show. It was um, Noel Gallagher from, from Oasis, yeah. the brother, who wrote all that stuff. I wrote Wonderwall and all the big hits. And uh, I, w- I was a little late. And by the time I got there, he had this little balcony seat and was looking out over this small theater with only about 2,000 people. And he was smoky in the room. And he was just him with an acoustic guitar on this song. And he said, I'd never heard, I'd never really listened to Supersonic. And he said, you know, something along the lines of, I don't ever want to play this song again. I'm just playing this for you guys. And he played Supersonic by himself, and it was so sick. It was just like I was just entranced by watching that guy there with an acoustic guitar. It's amazing. So tonight, uh, 7 o'clock, 7.30, Woolworth Theater. Nod, Kathy, if I'm getting it right. Yeah, we're hitting the stage probably 8.30, 8.45, and we'll be playing about an hour and 15-minute set. There's a DJ afterwards. I bet it's at 9. Yeah. It might be nine, but you know, <laughs> honestly, you go to a Pearl Jam show, they hit they hit on time pretty much, maybe ten minutes late, and I kind of like That's that. That's how you know you're getting older. As That's Eddie Vedder gets up there in age, like, man, I know you guys got places to be. I'm not going to keep you here all night. We're going to start it on time. Absolutely. What's on your rider backstage? What do you need in, oh, the, in the room? What's the best I, thing? Well, tonight, nothing because he's yeah. on. He's fasting. I don't barely need anything, but usually the band needs a little bit of Jägermeister. My one guitar player needs Jägermeister. We need we need some chicken and some salad and just some waters and and maybe a couple of diet cokes. I mean, it's a pretty. I try to keep it really simple. When we play around town in Cincinnati, I've never asked to play. I don't promote. You know, we play yeah. about fifteen or twenty times a year. But I try to keep it cheap, man. We try to keep it to like three, three to five thousand bucks, where we can come out, give you a two-hour show. Everybody gets paid a little bit, but we sleep we, in our own bed. We can't wait to to be there tonight. It's gonna yeah, be a blast. really excited cool. about this. It's gonna be a lot of fun. Thanks for doing this in studio with us. Also, yeah, thanks for having me. Appreciate on. it. Man. Next time in, man, you, uh, you're welcome here anytime. I appreciate it. Thank you. Well, you hey, won't, you you're won't in, be faced. Uh, we're here in Nashville too. We're in a distillery. We're in a, a brewery, but. Please bring your guitar. We have one in yeah. here. We should have offered it to you, but uh, we'd love to hear something. It needs also to be from tuned. You can take all care right, of that for all us right. as well. We'll have to do that sometime. I'm writing a new batch of songs right now. I just started. Perfect. Bronson Arroyo has been our guest. Uh, check him out uh, with the Bronson Arroyo band, and we'll give our review tomorrow. Album's It'll out right awesome. now. We're going to send out all that information also. Stay tuned. More coming. Hot Mike with Hunter Withrow across the Outkick Network. Straight ahead. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Sixth and Peabody, our location with Yeehaw Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine. Hot my with Hutton and Withrow rolls on across the Outkick Network. How cool is Bronson? He's awesome. Awesome dude. Laid yeah. back. You think of the corn rolls when you see him? Sometimes, yeah. Didn't quite get to that that fashion choice, that style no. choice that he made. Maybe next time. Yeah. Uh, love the uh, the music as well. Seems like a dude that would uh, have like ironic cornrows at some point in his life right when you talk to him hear him guy who's fasting for three straight days that's uh i always uh i always wanted to be able to play 
an instrument, but I also quit piano lessons. I feel like every person in their life has quit uh, uh, instrument uh, lessons for that, at like fifth or sixth grade. I love the idea of being able to snap my fingers and just say that I can play an instrument and know, you know, some songs yeah. that I can go to all the time. <laughs> and the idea of actually practicing that skill would the drive me crazy. That could play guitar. Oh yeah, that's, I mean, I, I learned like two songs in college because every fraternity house has three or four guys. Ours had a band. They had a group of guys who were huge in that. music that they did their own. Like they would go out and play other frat parties, but they were in our house, so they would teach us. Here's how you play "Wish You Were Here" by uh, Pink Floyd, or uh, "Every Rose Has Its Thorn" by Poison was one that I could play <laughs> like just the first chords to. Yeah, but I mean to sit there and actually practice it. And, I mean, it's more power to anyone who can play an instrument to that level because it, it takes a lot of work. How many, uh, how many of us in studio had uh, lessons for piano? No one? I never took a piano lesson. My, my eight-year-old daughter back, is in, in piano back, lessons yes. right now. Drums for Colin. Any other instrument? I feel like Matt or Davey should have done something. The oboe, anyone? No. Guitar. Accordion? Matt, you play the accordion? Trombone. 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 Okay. Never played a single instrument in my life other than uh, for a six-month period when I was in college. Chad was a uh, jazz flute. Yeah, Yaz. The J is yeah. the soft Sorry, J, yeah. like yogging. Yeah, Yaz flute, actually. I played the recorder in elementary school. We were okay. in music class, and you had to learn something on the recorder. Our buddy David Reed you know, knows yes. how to play the recorder, yeah. uh, which is like a flute light <laughs> is how I would call what the recorder is. <laughs> I, I think it's more it's, like a toy. It's the flute, but easier. There's not as many notes to play on it. That's how I describe the the recorder. Either way, awkward. Very, very awkward. But oh. yeah, I don't I don't think that I've Yeah, I've never even really toyed around taking lessons, any of that. Again, my daughter's eight and she's taking piano lessons and does a good job with it, but it's it's a lot of work. Lots and lots of work. How about um a week after Sports Illustrated is using AI in a awful way as a, a, a test run uh, for stories and then uh, having the, the fake pictures and bios to go along with the author. But then you've got the company saying uh, that they're using, hey, we're, these are actually real people. You've got the publisher who's jettisoning uh, the, those that, uh, that are up at the top of the food chain making these decisions. And you've got uh, the... The boss is saying, hey, uh, we've got a, a rant about the things you guys are doing is useless. Stop doing dumb stuff and more. And uh, more power to them. Here's hoping that there's more over... How about this, How about this uh, stance, Chad? God forbid we actually have those up top surveying and checking into the information that sites are putting out and how the, that information is being recycled over and over and over again. And who's actually writing it? Yeah, and I think part of it is just uh, the ability to hire good people that you trust to put you know, real things out there, whether that be an editorial team or writers or, or whatever it may be. But to do that costs money. To, to hire good people, it's going to cost you, cost you some money. So that's – I just – I mean, I feel like we've had this conversation since the start of our show over a decade ago. Yeah. And it's just evolved over the years. Now AI is the big threat. But remember, for a while, it was all of these older journalists that are really good at their job. They're getting laid off because 
papers at the time back then or websites don't want to pay them for their work when they can pay some 22-year-old out of college nothing. That's not going to give you much or do a very good job, but they're a lot cheaper. And now it's evolved into, well, now AI is the threat. And human beings of any age aren't going to be the ones writing the stories or making sure there's an editorial process or seeing that something is real before they publish it. All of these things. It's just, it's, I don't know what the answer is ultimately other than I just wish every media company just tried to do their best and tried to be good and tried to be right. Well, more times than not, and, and weren't trying to you know fool the system in any way. I don't know. I guess though, I was. I don't know if this approach is taking on that stance altogether. It's the Arena Group, uh, the the company that operates Sports Illustrated now, um, and the quote from one of the uh, stakeholders, one of the uh, stakeholders who is uh, controlling ownership, had this on a, a presentation, I believe, uh, just virtually. No one is important. I'm not important. The amount of useless stuff you guys do is staggering. That, so to me, this is also an, a, a way to lay off employees and point to AI as the, as the problem when you're not really giving anything, uh, any, anyone a solution, right? You're doing away with employees. And this AI, in this case, is doing the same thing. I'm not saying that certain employees are, are, you have to stick around, you have to keep people around, but I doubt they're going to employ the same amount of people moving forward. They're already within SI nearly 70 years now. Um, they were printing, now they're you know online. They're already in financial straits, dire straits. I'm, I'm, I'm just saying, like, it, to me, this feels like more of an excuse than it is a, uh, it's a, it's a cost-cutting measure more than anything. Cost-cutting measure. I and want. I want like. It's like we've talked about, uh, journalism. SI had yeah. some really good stuff, and now what's the perception? Even though you're cutting costs, what's the perception of SI now? Well, and even if you're not seeking journalism, there are places that should be absolutely all about journalism. That's right. Capital That's J I'm, yes. all the time, and we know those places that should be doing that, and go to those places for the capital J journalism. There's plenty of space in media for niche things. And coverage of stuff. There's plenty of Within space the same company. for irreverence, for comedy, for commentary. There's spaces for everything. I would just like to have the fallback be: let's be good. Let's let's be good at what we do. Let's brand it appropriately and be good at the brand that we are. Yes. And hire the right people to do their jobs. If I had to boil things down to a solo mission statement for a media company, it is that. There are a lot of places that try to be everything at once, and in doing so, they become nothing. There are other places, I think the New York Times has fallen guilty of this, and I'm a, I've been a huge fan of the New York Times in the past. I think there are other places that for years and years and years, they may have been the gold standard of journalism with a capital J, that now they're trying to be too much because they feel like the financials of it doesn't work out. Or they try to protect a, a certain idea or a certain thing that they want to espouse other than just giving someone the news. I think that is an issue. Um, I just think people need to be better at being what they are as a whole. That sounds simple, Hutton, but it's so complex. Man. For managers, for companies, for everyone else, be good at what it is you're doing and what it is you do. Yeah. And then we don't have to read stories about SI employees getting reamed out because they're so stupid and they're useless 
And then here's more stories about AI being something that anyone wants to click on or read. My hope is that the consumer weeds that out and says, this is dumb. I don't want to read something, a, you know, an AI algorithm generated back out to me. I want to read something a little more teeth, substance, humor, whatever it is you search. Let's get more of that. Well, and it also, like it, to me, from the news perspective, if Gannett is willing to have their local newspapers do this and do a trial run with it, and just uh, when, when it fails miserably, they point back to, oh, we were just testing this out. For what reason? For what reason? That's where this gets out of hand uh, because there's only one reason you're picking up the newspaper and looking at the front page, right? Um, you, get, you get different things in there. There's entertainment, sports, whatever, but the hard, the, the, the hard line news is on the front page. And I want to be able to pick up the front page or read online and know that someone wrote this and covered this and is reporting on this legitimately. And I, I feel like we're really blurring the lines, and it's probably been going on for a long time, of who's behind it, what they're doing, and why they're doing it. And that's just, it's awful. And it's, it sucks when you know that it's just a, it's a, a measure to cut costs. Right? Yeah, and the capital J journalism is going away because the the employers are doing away with it, and, it so they can have the the headline and the click instead of the read. I don't think there's enough people reading those things as much as clicking on it for the gossip column. And I think so many people are just looking for the next shortcut that's going to l- allow them to work less and then get the same amount of money generated. Right. And AI is just that next thing. You know, before it was hiring a bunch of younger people fresh out of college on their way up that don't do as good a work, but right. you're going to hire them you're because right. that's going to generate more content. That's what television and get news more is. clicks and get more money and ad revenue and all of that. And I, I just there needs to be a reset to the good. And I'm not talking about the greater good or anything. I'm talking about quality. There needs to be a reset to people that want to work hard. And as long as it takes to find the quality that then generates the money, I, I am, my head is not in the sand. I understand that money and revenue ultimately is what's going to drive these companies. I think there's a way to achieve both goals without selling yourself out and doing everything AI generated and having to go down a certain path that debrands something that was already a good brand or takes away from what it is you're trying to do. And I, don't forget this. This would not be a headline now had it gone well. They would have just rolled it out. It's not like they admitted all this on the front end. Gannett had to do away with it and issue statements about it, saying that they were putting this on pause instead of continuing to try it out. That's what worries me, is whenever it goes well. And who knows what's working and what's not right now? Because they're not going to tell you up front. Well, and who knows what's actually really going on in terms of that, where they think they're getting away with one right now because they're generating a similar amount of coverage and or revenue, and they're doing this in other spaces. Well, I, I think the know. same laziness goes on up top, where the, those overseeing this aren't really doing that, where you don't have to work as hard uh, as, at, at what you're doing because you can get away with it and nothing's going to happen. You know? Well, and it's those, and that, that's kind of the middle management part of this, I think. Those at the top top are sitting there thinking, how can I make more money without paying anybody? Well, here's the revenue. Yeah. And that, that's what they're thinking about. And then people below them are thinking, hmm, how do I just keep my job and make those above me happy 
while also making sure that I'm doing something here. And then you get this constant vicious cycle of more of what people complain about with media. You know where those companies, though, that are trying to cut costs actually spend? Live sports. Thanksgiving Day, the broadcast for NFL averaged 45 million viewers. 45 million, over 50 million for the Dallas Cowboys. That's where they're spending money in the ad space. Those companies are, yes. And the, yes, and the NFL continues to crush it with those numbers. That's what they look at. I was thinking about the other day. I, I honestly believe the only place that I see ads, I see ads on the web, you know, just scrolling through, I'll see it. But the only other places I'm truly seeing ads that air in a traditional sense. Where people watch them. Are live sporting events. Because anything else I'm watching... Now, streamers are going to advertising, supported all ad-supported stuff also. So mm -hmm. I am seeing that if I'm watching a show and it has to go to a minute and a half of ads or whatever, I'm, I'm seeing them. But other than that, I'm just not watching a lot of traditional TV with ads. I'm watching something on a streaming service that has no ads. I'm watching a movie somewhere else. I'm watching a YouTube video on my computer. Or I'm watching live sports where I see the ads of today. That's really the only place I'm exposed to it. So the NFL had Nielsen. Do this survey. 45.4 million was the average. It's a 33% increase from last year, which was 34 million. That's insane. That is crazy. Because Dallas is always playing. Yep. Coming up, we got the top headlines of the day, including, uh, well, the Pac-12 is no more. And the Big 12 commissioner is saying he's not happy about it. That's next. That's next.